How do you do, everybody? Welcome to Mishmash Men. This is, I believe, episode two. Episode two. And we're going to call it two. We had an intro. Uh, one was that fantastic episode. I think it was last week, wasn't it, Dustin? Last week. Uh, where we talked about, and our clothes might look the same. It just happened to work out that way. I'm dirty. I wear yeah. the same clothes day after day. So. We never left. Yeah, yeah we just stayed We just here. slept here yeah. on the table. Uh, but welcome to Mishmash Men. Uh, I am Adam Mauser, and to my right is... Dusty Labar. And we are the Mishmash Men, and we are going to talk a little bit today about uh, trusting robots. Trusting robots. Yeah. And the, the uh, subtitle of it is really Automation Bias, and what is it, and uh, you know what's this all about? So, uh, what, Dusty, what is automation? Automation. So this is Dusty's uneducated talk. So I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to inform me. Well, I was educated on, on Wikipedia. So okay. well, Wikipedia yeah. is pretty good. Yeah. It's the best. Uh, most of my college essays were from Wikipedia. Um, automation. So I'm going to use Ford motor company as what I think automation is. So we started building cars and it was super slow. And then somebody figured out that, Hey, we can, automate some robots and they will make the cars exponentially faster and we can drop the pricing. We can create things a lot faster. We can have a higher demand and sell a lot more if we have this automated things. And I think that probably spans more than Ford. Just I know that was like one of the first big things that's that fair. Ford did. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So I looked up the definition and it is execution by a system, a computer app or machine or something mm -hmm. like that of a function previously carried out by a human. So along the lines of exactly what you're talking about, you're going to okay. automate something. Most people think of like the technical, like today's automation. Sure. Uh, but I think, and this is where I'm going to take a little uh, liberty, um, there there are other things that have been automated before we had computers. Sure. Um, some of the examples I, I could think of, uh, and again, this might not be the strict letter of the law, but if a, a function performed by a human before was writing, uh -huh. like writing out in script, and then Johann Gutenberg with the printing press, the gotcha. movable type printing press. So that would you that was something you would consider automation, even in a very loose sense. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Because now I'm not writing out, right, like a human, but I can take and I can mass produce. Okay. And it's more on the mass production side, kind of like uh, Ford, what he did with his assembly line. Sure. Uh, he he didn't come up with that idea, but so before there was printing presses, did they have newspapers still? And it was just handwritten. Well, they had a lot. There, there were presses before. Okay. But this was a movable type printing press. I understand. So he took, um, he had a, a cache of letters. I understand. Of the alphabet. And then you could array them in whatever you needed to print out several pages of that, that okay. particular thing. And then reset the type, print okay. out his next page, and, and gotcha. on he goes. Gotcha. Okay. So there was a press. It was just significantly slower and still, it was probably man-operated. One person just yeah. like, and then here's the page, and then they would have to re reassemble it. Somehow. Right, they'd gotcha. have to collate it uh, later. Gotcha, what a nightmare. After well, but better than writing. Sure. Because in the old days, writing. you just had script writers just writing. Just writing. God. Just writing. This is much better. Uh, some other things, like the steam engine, now we're, we're taking things that wasn't performed by humans so much, but we're moving things, and we're automating movement. Okay. Um, uh, Gatling gun, that's another automated feature where I'm not reloading the gun. The gun is loaded automatically through a crank. Yep. Yep. Uh, so again, these are loose. Uh, so would you consider the first like revolver to be trust and automation as well? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So the first gun that would rotate through multiple rounds without you having to reload it. 
And, and it's very generic and loose term of automation. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But still, but still automation. You didn't have to worry about reloading every time. It was, you're trusting in the thing to do it for you, basically. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not having to rechamber a load sure. because I've already chambered it. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so there's there's some good example, but you brought up the uh, the industrial robot. Yeah. Uh, that and through the example Ford, um, and then there was in 1968 uh, the Unimate. Uh, it was a robot that was installed at a GM plant. Okay. And where it automated features. And if you think about it, what I want to automate are things that are routine, things that can be repeated. And I want to increase the quality and have fewer errors. Mm -hmm. And I want, so I want it to be done the same every time. Uh, but now I'm going to remove the human from the loop. If you were to think of a, uh, a function, a control loop of, I do a function and I get feedback on how I did by, by looking at it right. or having an inspector look at it and I move on. Well, now I, I remove the human from that loop and I'm doing, I'm automating that. Right. And so that was done with, through some rudimentary software and robotics in 1968. So tying that into <clears throat> the same thing. So we, now we have these car companies that can do, you know, mass produce many automobiles, which has, I guess as a question, what you think about it. So like somebody like Lamborghini, will literally or like be like, if you wanted to buy this car, it is so much money because it's handcrafted. Right. So like it went from like, this is amazing. Like this is awesome that we can do it. But now people are like, well, we still are building them by hand, which makes them exponentially more expensive now because they're, so you have like that side of things. So people are like, you can get your car fast or you can get it for a lot more money handcrafted by a human being, which right. the original intent was to take human beings out of the equation because we can do it faster. Right. So it's just like an interesting, you know, an interesting side of things because now you're talking like millions of dollars for a vehicle because it's handcrafted in Italy versus manufactured a thousand at a time in Detroit. That, that's exactly right. And, and you're, you're talking about the epi economic uh, impact or the economic facet of automation to where, um, so you have that scale of a Lamborghini aircraft, um, uh, automobile. Yeah. That now I'm going to take, um, and I have these craftsmen that are building the aircraft literally by hand. Right. Uh, so the quality, the quality is because he's going to hire craftsmen, he can charge a lot more. And that's a, that's a whole class of goods called uh, Veblen goods. Veblen? Veblen, V-E-B-L-E-N, I think is what okay. it is. Uh, and Veblen goods are goods that are, this isn't really directly related to automation, but it's still interesting. Yeah. A Veblen good are goods that are, that are priced outside the normal market for, let's say, um, cars or okay. watches. That, that's a great example. Okay. I can buy a timepiece for my phone, which is not cheap, but it does many other functions and the clock function is relatively cheap compared to it just comes free, the clock function. Sure. Uh, or I can buy, you know, a $20,000 Rolex. Right. $20,000 Rolex is a Veblen good and because it's the name of it carries more cachet than sure. the fact that it's a clock. Interesting. Or a watch. I've never heard the term Veblen good. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, welcome to Mishmash. Mishmash, man. <laughs> I just unplugged. Your uh, your headphone? And I'm back. And he's back. So um, so that was our first yeah. uh, blooper. We should run it on a loop. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so anyway, Veblen goods, interesting topic. Um, so, so another facet... Um, with that, uh, that robot is the, the advent of software. Software, um, a lot of times you think of software as like this strange code. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, usually a software programming language. That's usually a high-level thing. But mm -hmm. eventually it has to get down to 
an executable code or machine code mm-hmm. uh, where now I'm writing to the processor. And that's strictly the binaries where I'm going to tell the processor what to do, what math operations to execute in order to do whatever function I'm going to do. Makes sense. And so uh, so the introduction of software and computers now proliferating, we can automate a lot more things. Right. And to tie back in a little bit to what we we're just talking about and the economic impacts. Um, if you think of uh, the minimum wage, mm-hmm. the minimum wage continues to rise. And I will I will offer that the minimum wage is truly zero. Okay. Um, it is never whatever the government says it is. Okay. Because if the minimum wage comes up and I'm a business and I only have so much revenue coming in, I can only pay so many employees uh, based off of that minimum wage. Well, right. now I'm going to have to let some people go or I won't Definitely. be able to hire uh, as those that, that are in my business a trit. So I'm going to replace it with, let's say, McDonald's, where they have those kiosks where you order your food. Which is something new that I just saw yeah. like recently because I, I don't go to fast food very often, but I recently was in a McDonald's. Why the heck was I in there? doesn't matter. Maybe to buy food. Uh, I bet you it was not. I almost guarantee you I went to use a bathroom. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, God, it's been a, I love chicken nuggets, but, but I didn't get them that time. But I walked in and I was like, did we just give... A, ki- a high school kid's job away to this kiosk. Yes, we did, and it was. It's because of the the minimum wage. You think? Because uh, without a doubt, it's because it's too expensive. But this computer can do what this kid does, right? And you're basically ordering your your own food. You're telling us what to do, and we got we can fire Jim, who's an 18 year old kid in high school, right? And we don't have to pay anybody. You don't have to pay anybody. I did, I did not even. I didn't really put much stock into it when I walked in there, except for the fact that everybody's getting lazy and they didn't want to hire. You know, whatever. Yeah. But, but it makes total sense that if you're like. When McDonald's could hire people 10 years ago for what, six bucks an hour or whatever it was, yeah. seven bucks an hour. And now it's well, o- well over double. Yeah. And so, but you're talking to a kid that's going to run a cash register and probably call off work most days. And right. and now you're like, well, maybe this computer can do it better. Yeah. Yeah, it's fair. And, and it's, it takes longer because you can communicate in words a lot quicker. He knows sure. this 18 year old kid, even if he's a a marginal employee. He can put in the codes if he's somewhat trained and uh, efficient. Yeah. Uh, but now because the automation can't determine, it has to give all the options all the time as you go down. Makes sense. Otherwise you won't, the customer won't get what they want. You can't get truly customizable food. So like you have to have pickles, onions, yes. blah, 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 blah. And you have so to go through that list every time. Every time. As a consumer. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of, it's more painful, but if you want the price low, you're willing to deal with that. Can I ask you a question? This is Absolutely. A question. You go into Publix, it's five o'clock on a Friday. Do you aim for a regular checkout with a person or do you go for the, the automated checkout? If I just have a couple things, then I will go to the automated checkout if I can. There's definitely a limit to how many things that you have that you're willing to bag yourself, right? Yeah. There's definitely a limit where you're like, I'm, I'm going to wait this line. Or if there's complication, if there's something that needs weighed. That's right. Yeah. Or, or if you're getting alcohol and they're going to ask for your ID. Right. Cause they're, that person's not paying attention No. or they're going to ask you if you want to donate to some, to some organization. Right. Like I don't got time for this, but yeah, I'm, I am a hundred percent. If I can go to the self checkout, I'm going to the self checkout, which is really funny because Bill Burr, this comedian does a joke about that where he's like, he's like, they're basically saying you pick out your food, you pay for it. You get the F out of my store is basically what yeah. they're saying. Cause you're not doing a human interaction, but you know, there's sometimes where you just want to be like, I don't feel like talking. I just want to run my, th- my stuff through and get out. Right. As fast I just want to get out. Yeah. In fact, have you, I've seen memes on this and I, I have found myself, I actually did this, but I'll ask you the question. Mm-hmm. You pull up to the gas pump yep. 
and you get out. Yeah. And it says, hey, it's card card reader's broken. You're going to have to go inside. Yeah. Do you go inside or you just get in your car and leave? Never. I never go inside. Yeah. When I tell you that you know. I never go inside, <laughs> I will try every different pump before I leave that, but I will not go inside. I will push my car to the next destination. 100%. Desk. 100%. <laughs> I'll call it. Hey, Dusty, can you pick me up? Here's the deal. You know how mad I get when it says, go see the cashier. I'm like, you got to be out of your mind. Yeah. That's impossible. <laughs> Even if I was planning on going into the gas station to buy something else, I'm like, you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I want to pump my gas now, go in and buy my stuff, and then walk out. I, I don't, don't trust to- those robots. Yeah, this is ridiculous. I'm 100%. You know, in Jersey, they still have, you can't pump your own gas there. I, I've i driven through Jersey, and I've seen it. Yeah, it's stupid. It is. It's stupid. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's to thwart theft, but. I think it's a union thing. You think it's a union oh, thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, unions. My uncle was a union, a heavy uh, machine operator in the union, yeah. and I mean, he was a certain kind of way. Yeah. He was a certain kind of way. Did I remember growing up where the, uh, like, the, the pay at the pump was like, you would have to go inside. Yeah. And they had like self-serve and full-serve mm-hmm. lanes. And uh, I oh, remember yeah. that going, you know, my mom and dad getting gas and, and the full-service guy. Yeah. Wash, wash your window. Yeah. yeah. Check your oil, all yep. of it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so that software, that automated logic, and if you just think of software as logic, uh, that's helpful. It's just a flow chart. If this, then that. If this, then that. Mm-hmm. And on down, it just executes. Um, so we had a lot of... Uh, things getting automated, including like uh, in your truck, you probably have an automated, I'm sorry, an electronic transmission. Yep. Um, and it's not that automatic transmission was, was based off of, you know, the velocity. It was based off of a number of factors, the RPM of the engine. Right. Um, a number of things and pressure. Pressure was the regulator that defined all that. Well, now we have this electronic transmission that can add a little more fidelity to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, an aircraft um they have this uh, this thing that's been around for years and years and years. It's called a FADEC, uh, fully automated digital electronic control unit. So that's a FADEC engine. It takes a ton of parameters in it, and it's usually uh, two computers in one. Mm-hmm. So it's split down the middle, so you have two processors okay. um, inside one engine, and it's just still one module. Gotcha. But it's processing, and it's taking all those inputs, a lot of them independent and redundant, mm-hmm. and it it modulates the engine based off of need okay, and expected need. And uh, so all that stuff's automated and it, it removes the human from the loop. So you, uh, you know, the point of it is you need less training. Yeah. You can respond to things much quicker than a human can in sure. a lot of cases because my attention stood diverted to wherever. So I hate to interrupt you again. No, go ahead. So for instance, the Tesla. So Tesla, Tesla does not have a transmission. You get instant power to the wheels, whatever you need. And they also have, an, in some of the models, an autopilot function. So basically, are you, do you think that within the next X amount of years, that like you, there's no need to have your driver's license if your car drives for you? Right. So is that going to remove the human from the loop of ever driving again? Like if, Tesla can ta- if your Tesla can take you to, your, to point A to point B, you never have to drive it. It does exactly what you want it to do all the time. Is that just removing the person from the loop, which would be like the driver. You're just, you're just riding a, a, a vehicle just like a bus, except it's your own personal. If you right. have the money to buy the vehicle, you can drive regardless of your license or not. Well, that's exactly what this whole topic is about is that trust and automation. Um, and the designer has to be right all the time. I think we're going to get there eventually. Sure, I, agree. I mean, it's, it's inevitable, but there's a lot of growing pains along the way. Yeah. There is a certain, um, 
acceptance of that technology yeah. that the population will have to absorb and, and accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that takes time. Sure. That takes time. Yeah. Uh, but there, there are some things that, um, that have to be accounted for. And there are things that we as uh, consumers or users or maybe even a type of operator, like a passive operator mm-hmm. in an, uh, uh, an automobile that drives itself, that we have to be prepared to jump in. And, and we're going to talk about sure. that here shortly. Okay. So automation bias, um, that's the tendency to trust or favor suggestions from an automated decision-making system. And that's really the, the kernel of what we're talking about. So what I want you to think of is a GPS. Now, the, uh, the former GPS, GPS was, was something the military developed. And oh, it's, okay. it's, uh, it's satellite-aided navigation system. So right. you have a series of satellites that are geolocated throughout mm-hmm. uh, the, the globe and orbit. And it gives information through triangulation of your location as long as you have an antenna and a processor that says, okay, here's, here's where you are. Okay, so when GPS came out as a, not, not you as a, you know, somebody that was in the military, but as when GPS came out for the consumer, were you, so my, I remember very vividly, my dad, my mom bought my dad a GPS and he couldn't trust that thing less. So they would put it on in the car and he would defiantly not listen to it whether it took him longer to get where he was going or not. Right. But it was like, turn left here. And he's like, that's not the way I go here. So I'm not, it doesn't matter if it took him 25 minutes longer. He'd be like, this thing is not telling me where right. to go. So that's really what we're talking about, right? Like he right. had no trust in that at all. He was like, he grew up in this generation and he was like, I don't trust any of this stuff. And it took him probably 10 years before he would even be like, okay, I'm just going to put it in the GPS and let it go. So were you somebody that was like, I'm not listening to this. I know what I'm doing. Or because you had experience, probably had experienced it with before the public. Did you have experience with it before the public? I did. I yeah. did. I operated a, a GPS. This is before I even flew, but we had a, um, it was called a, a, a plugger or a slugger. I can't remember what it stood for or what it means, but it was a, a hand portable um, GPS. Okay. And, and this is, I was a, you know, ground infantryman. And so in the old days you would take, you had your compass and you had your, your topographical map essentially right. and military grid reference system. And you're literally counting paces. Like I have it a 70, 72 for every hundred meters. I take 72 paces. Oh boy. So two steps is one pace. Okay. And uh, 72 for a hundred in this type of train and 70 for this type of train oh and 78 and, and like the jungles of Panama. Okay. And so you, you know that. And so you can kind of pace it. You're comparing to the map. You got your Linset accomplice. So you know where magnetic North is and you can try to figure out where you are based off of just observing. Well, now you have this GPS, and it automates that, and you don't have to be as observant right. of where you are. Now, initially, we're just you know we would just like we do our walking, and it would confirm where we were, or say, hey, you, you know, we might be off a little bit because okay. this thing's saying over here. Okay, okay, okay. Because it gotcha. would give you the coordinates of where you I were. Gotcha. So I had that advantage before GPSs were a thing mm-hmm. uh, in the consumer world. Yeah, uh, and I think it was ninety three. I wrote it down here. But anyway, it was the early 90s. Clinton mm-hmm. um, signed a, a law to release GPS, not the full GPS, because you can be more accurate with the military sure. encoded GPS. But now um, we can have on our phones, we can have Garmin's or Magellan's. I can't remember the couple other brands of yeah. GPS. And then now they're on everybody's phone. But that observant uh, nature that we had when we were navigating by uh, knowing where magnetic north was, uh, counting paces, looking at the terrain, or if I'm driving 
or you in the your dad's instance. Yeah. He he knew where he wanted to go. He's been right. on these roads before. Let's say he's going to go cross country. He would map out and recon um, where he needed to go. Right, 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 right. And well, now I don't even do this anymore. Even though I grew up, that's how I had to drive. Sure. Like I had need to drive to upstate New York. Well, okay. I'd get out a map and an atlas. Yeah. And I'd flip through and like, okay, I'm going to take 71 up to 90, take 90 mm-hmm. to 81, and, and and there we go. And I'm looking at the signs and I'm keeping track. Right. Well, now I just pull up my phone. Yeah. But what if something's wrong? You're right. What if um, I put in the wrong city? What if I put in Madison, Wisconsin? Sure. Or instead of Madison, Alabama? Uh, what if uh, the G- I lose GPS signal? Mm-hmm. Uh, what if I fat finger the wrong city in and I don't notice it? Right. That happens quite a bit. Sure. Or another type of error is a, wat- a, a road gets washed out or a bridge gets washed yep. out. Well, now, now what do I do? Because yep. I might end up in a bad spot. Right. Um, and I need to keep track of where I am. If I don't know where I am, then I'm, I'm in worse shape than I was. Yeah. The, pr- the problem is, is that because like if there was a bridge, bridge washed out or something, or road closed, it's not that necessarily the GPS would know it. It's that you've done no prior research to know how to get around it. If you, if that was the issue. So like when you put it into your GPS, you're like, I don't even know where I am. I have no signal. I just have to guess on roads cause nobody carries a map of them anymore. Yeah. So that's a, I mean, that's a huge problem. Um, just in general, because you're right, people just put in the coordinates, and if they lose signal, they're pretty much lost. They are lost. I mean, they can't get to where they're going for sure. Because they haven't done, you know, I'll say we, because I'm lumping myself in this. We haven't done any research beforehand to know where we could be, could be, right? If things went haywire, correct. So that all boils down to like regression. If this fails, then now what? Right. So next uh, next area I'm going to talk about related to this is. Um, these two gentlemen, um, they were both, I think, industrial engineers at the beginning of the early 1900s, so the beginning of the 20th century. Yerkes and Dotson, Y-E-R-K-E-S and Dotson. Uh, and they came up with a saying called the Yerkes-Dotson Law. Okay. And I'm going to describe it to you, but if you think of it as a, um, of an XY plot, mm-hmm. and on the Y axis, the one that goes vertical, that's task performance, okay. like how well you can perform a task. Okay. And along the x-axis is um, stimulus. Okay. Or state of arousal, how, how close you're paying attention to what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So performance against uh, stimulus or arousal, mm-hmm. where you are. Well, there's cut cutoffs to that. If I automate something, um, then, well, let me back up. So there's a, it's a nice bell-shaped curve mm-hmm. that, that illustrates your performance. So I can be understimulated and my GPS, I'm just barely paying attention to where I'm at. I'm just listening to what the guy's saying. Right. Uh, or I could be overstimulated. There's a kid crying in the back. There's uh, your wife's asking like, hey, why don't you just ask for directions, gotcha. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a lot of input and you can't sort and filter a lot of that stuff out. So you're overstimulated. Your task performance is going to suffer as a okay. result. I'll equate it to, to flying because I've, I've done some flying in the past. And there's a lot of radios. You can have five, maybe six, maybe even some type of aircraft, seven radios going all at once potentially. Uh, not likely, but mm-hmm. you got a lot of radios and a lot of people talking to you about different things. And you might be getting shot at. And you got to navigate. And you got to go perform this function, uh, this mission. You're not just flying for fun. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stimulus. And there could be stimulus in the cockpit, behind you, in front of you, outside the aircraft, through the radios, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's important to be able to shed some of that stuff. 
Uh, but what Yerkes Dotson described was there's a limit um, to where your task performance suffers significantly, mm-hmm. uh, that performance along the, the y-axis. And then there's a cutoff where I might just be, I might fall asleep. Okay. Uh, or I might be so distracted I don't pay attention to what's going on. Okay. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, several years ago, um, five, ten, somewhere in that neighborhood, there were uh, there was a commercial airliner that the pilots overflew their destination by like 150 miles. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, it was, was some place. Uh, I can't remember what airline <laughs> I it, bet was. it was. Spirit. <laughs> it, it very well could. Have. It could have been any one of them, yeah, though, yeah. because now what they said was they were um, on their computers or something like that. Yeah, uh, it doesn't really matter. They, they failed to do what they should do, right. and they were let go. Uh, <laughs> and 150 miles, it, that sounds like a lot, but when you're doing three, 400 knots, yeah. it's not that long. It's like 15 minutes maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but still, they overflew their destination, and it's because they were at that far left side where the arousal was like, I'm just not paying attention to what's going on. Gotcha, gotcha. And they didn't hear the cues that told them, hey, you need to descend here. And people, they were talking to them on like the guard or emergency freaks frequencies. Gotcha. Um, so that I think they were asleep. Sure. Sure. One of them nodded off and the other one was like, yeah, I got, the, I got controls. Yeah. And he dozed <sighs> off. Gotcha. Uh, that's just my opinion. Sure. So at any rate, they were understimulated for the task at hand. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's those two cutoffs. I'm overstimulated. I'm understimulated. And then there's that meaty part of the curve where mm-hmm. most of us need to be all the time. And it's best when you're designing a system, uh, that when you, when things start to fail, Mm-hmm. that you are still somewhere in there. Gotcha. So in in aviation, that's a, a field I've been in for, for a couple of decades, um, and doing a lot of test work, we try to design a system to where it gracefully degrades and to where it keeps you in that middle part Gotcha. to where if something fails, a sensor fails, you're going to be alerted, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be a complete showstopper. Gotcha. And you want to try to keep that guy... Uh, or gal that's flying the aircraft in that meaty part of the curve where they can pay attention to what's going on. Makes sense. So um, those failures that I was talking about, that's, that, that's, uh, that's what feeds into the design of a system. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that also like your dad, um, and I'm kind of like this on some things. And I think we all are, there's a technology that we're, we're used to doing uh, work on whatever it is Mm -hmm. in his case, driving from point A to point B the technology was such that he's comfortable with doing whatever it is he's going to do, and he doesn't want that to change. Right. But then there's another sweet spot of people that like, yeah, give me that technology. I want to just right. do that, but I'm not going to do any of that. So we need to be prepared for that. So one of the things you talked about was the Tesla, the auto-driving cars. Sure. And one of the things that I found interesting, I uh, saw an ad for this. It was a, a manufacturer of a car, popular manufacturer. And they had an automatic braking and steering for, let's say, a um, a ball and a kid that runs out in front of the car. Okay. So this design feature is is such that it senses it through mm-hmm. this uh, called bumper radar, mm-hmm. and it would brake the car and in turn to avoid that object, whatever it is, it just intruded into the flight path or the the driving path right, rather, right, 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 um, of the car. So can you see any problems with that? I mean, if it's not a kid with a ball and just anything and it makes you swerve off path for not a good reason, you could swerve off into traffic or into something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It could be, um, it could have been a, 
a goat that ran in front of you. Sure. But then it's going to swerve into a path where maybe pushing a stroller. Right, now, right, right. Like the human can immediately sense that before any sensor and any computer can do it and know that, well, the goat is going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to kill the goat. If you have a, a lady pushing her baby in a stroller to your left and a goat to your right and you're hitting one of them. Right. Even in an instant, you can be like, well, that goat is, is out. Right. But the computer, it just has an object that's in front of it. It has to make a decision. So right. whatever, I guess, I would assume whatever the first object is, it moves away from that one, which could potentially hit a- something absolutely. worse. And even if I don't know that that's a baby that's in the stroller that the, the woman's pushing. Yeah. Or even if it's not even a, a woman pushing the stroller, it's just a stroller in the road. Yeah. I'm going to guess that there's a baby in that thing. Sure, sure, sure. And the goat's going to die. Yeah. The computer will not guess that there might be a it baby does not. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does not. So yeah. you automate things, but it doesn't always account for those things that we can recognize and sure. make a value judgment off of that. I think that's some of the issues that they're having with the autopilot function of the Teslas is that it's certain they're, they're causing wrecks for reasons that they shouldn't be caught. Like, does your car have that a smart cruise or, yeah. or so like that lane adjustment? Yeah. So like it'll pick up, it'll, if somebody's merging, it'll pick up that person's there, but not in your way. So that person's getting off the highway, but it picks up their deceleration and moves and is moving off, but it picks that deceleration up. So it'll slow your car down to whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. But that person behind you is looking up front and being like, oh, that person's just merging, but your car slows down because it's, it's only picking right. up the slowing speed and you're getting closer to that car. And potentially the brake lights because yeah. they use light sensors right, as well. Right, So, I mean, that's always the stuff that I'm worried about, even with, with the smart crews that we have in our trucks, is that I'm if I see somebody merging, I always tap the brake or turn it off because I know it's going to slow me down. And if somebody's riding my butt... You know, if they may not have it. It's not in every car. So their car might not slow down automatically. They may be on their cell phone. So I try to, you know, be aware of the people behind me, but, which is something that that smart crews or, or autopilot can't do. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so back to the uh, the Tesla question, and yeah. just kind of flesh this out a little bit. Um, sure, you can. Um, oh, real quick on that. So years ago, yeah. uh, just a quick anecdote, a friend of mine, uh, this is when I was in the Army, and so there's this casualty assistance duty that you have to have. If a soldier dies, whether it's, you know, combat-related, it doesn't really matter. Uh, there are there are people on staff that, like, literally show up to the doorstep to to inform. Sure, yep. And this guy, he had to uh, inform. Uh, so he was, he was privy to the details. And what happened was uh, someone else was driving a car. A raccoon ran out into the road, and the person that was driving – elected to avoid to hit the raccoon and drove into the other lane and hit this other person dead on. Yeah. And I can't imagine um, that. I mean, uh, literally I just ran over an armadillo a couple months ago with my son in a backup and because there was cars coming the other way, there was a ditch on the other side. So I'm like, Hey, get ready. Yep. 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 And uh, you know, I hate it for the armadillo, but when it comes to armadillo and me and my son or me and my son and some other people, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, we did this. I mean, the same thing happened literally me driving here today was there was a squirrel that ran out in front of me. I didn't want to hit the squirrel, but there was somebody coming the other lane and yeah. I'm not going to be like, well, let's try to save the squirrel. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to preserve my life and this person's, this person's life. And that's kind of like, you know, exactly what we're talking about there. Like that, there's that human, there's that human instinct or human ability to, to see what's going on at, at a, a different level than a computer can see what's going on right versus you know these are there's a hierarchy of what's going to happen and we can decide that versus where robots or automation can't do that yet 
which I don't know if they will be able to do, but they can't do it yet. The hard part is programming for every variable and every eventuality. Sure. Uh, and, and thinking that I've, I've done a lot of automation work when it comes to flight control law development, um, automation of things uh, in, co- in cockpits where there's a human in the loop and you need to, um, you need to convey information to that human and you need to prepare for failures and that sort of thing. There's a lot of discussion, a lot of good research on it. But what it boils down to is um, you can't always trust exclusively that what you're presented. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a bias toward trusting something that's automated. That's always there. So I also think that generationally, like, so my dad was afraid to listen to GPSs. Like he was not going to take its information. He was going to do whatever he wanted to do versus my generation where I'll implicitly trust a GPS on my phone. Like it, it knows all I can, you know, I can do it, which even Andrew, who's 10 years younger than me, where even like today he's or a couple of weeks ago, he set up our, yeah. our soft, like, which is like kind of foreign to me. It almost makes you nervous. You're like, I'm not exactly sure how to do yeah. it, but he's, he's so confident because he grew up in a different time than even I did 10 years difference in this technology boom. So like what I'm thinking is my, like my daughter, when she's in her twenties, the trust in automation will be crazy yeah. because she's already, she's going to grow up in a time where we pretty much trust it now. In, in a lot of aspects of our life. So pretty much as we go through for every decade, we're going to have more and more trust in it as we go through. There's not, there's going to be less of people like my dad, me, all these people that are like, Oh, some of it's good. Some of it's bad to where it's like, Oh, it's just easy if everything is just done. Kind yeah. of thing. Well, it's, uh, you know, just like you said, it's, it's a generational or just a continual spectrum of more and more things are automated every yeah. day. And where you enter into that stream of, wherever we are at the current state, mm-hmm. uh, you're willing to accept that because it's, it's just the way life just is. The way it is yeah. But if there was some, you know, let's say, uh, uh, an electromagnetic pulse and it take out, takes out, takes out rather every electronic device, anything mm-hmm. that's wired and that's on, it's now gone. Yeah. Well, we better get pretty good at growing our own food right. and walking, yeah, and <laughs> and maybe taming a horse yeah, and yeah, riding yeah. a horse, all those sorts of things we would have to be much better at. Yeah producing heat, mm-hmm. uh, all those kinds of things to where, um, you know, and, and that's the, that's the warning is don't always, uh, jump in full force when it comes to the things that you should be responsible for, which yeah. is your own life limb or eyesight and others around you when you're operating this equipment, including a car, which could hurt you. You know, what's crazy is that Laura, my wife, for those of you, if you're a first time listener, she will not press go on GPS. So she'll hit route it'll show her the blue route and she will, it drives me crazy when I'm driving, but she'll zoom in. It's the way her dad is. It's the way her brother is. That's funny, but she'll zoom in and she won't pick another route. She'll just zoom in and be like, Oh, this road right here will take you here. And this, her brother is like very intelligent. He's a farmer. He took over a farm. Um, and just a super smart dude. And that's the way he is. That's the way her dad is. And so she won't basically won't hit go on a GPS. She'll see the route it wants her to take and she'll, blow it up and she'll see what other options she can have. Mm-hmm. And she'll just kind of navigate, even when she's telling me directions, she, I can see her on her phone, like zooming in. Oh, in one, two, three, four streets ahead, you can take a right. And like, I'm like sweating. Cause you know, we're trying to get somewhere and I'm like, Oh my God, just press go, just yeah. press go so we can see it. But that's like, a, I get mad at it, but that's a skill. Basically it's reading a map. Yeah. I mean, she's essentially reading a digital map. So if I opened up a map for her, 
she could read the map pretty easily because she's doing it on her phone. She's not trusting the GPS. Right. She's learning it herself. Not that she wouldn't. She's just being like, this is what I like to do. And it's not a bad idea. It's not. In but fact, I'll I, do that in, in this area. I just like, okay, which is the quickest way based off of traffic? Because sure. it also gives feedback on cell phone pings. Yeah, yeah. And what, if there's a traffic jam. Yes, correct. Uh, but then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go that way. And then I shut off because I can't stand the constant reminders. Yeah. Turn left. All of turn my left. stuff is turned off because I can't, I can't take it. Like yeah. with, with work, I'll have it on to my destination just so I can see if there's traffic jams. I know where I'm going. I'm not even looking at it. But yeah. I'll look down and be like, oh, is there a traffic jam ahead? Right. Knowing that 72 at 4 o'clock on a Friday is going to be a nightmare. I may want to jump off. So They need to automate that. They do need to automate that. Although Todd Sliman had an idea, and he told Madison to do it this way 20 yeah. years ago, and they still haven't done it. And also the mailboxes. The mailboxes, so that's another thing. We should do an episode on the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> and we should have Todd in as a guest. That would be a riot. That would be so fun. Well, that is, uh, any questions? No, I don't think I have any questions. I, I'm interested now that we talked about it a little more, um, people's, I'm really intrigued by people's ability to trust it now because I never thought about it like that. Like somebody's trust in it. It's like you have this technology, so you just use it. The same way when I would argue with my dad, I'd be like, you just have the technology, just use it. So like, this is my favorite, one of my favorite driving stories of my dad is he literally, we went to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware from Pennsylvania every year for vacation in the summer for as long as I can remember. Maybe once, maybe once or twice a year we would go, or once or twice, you know, every couple of years we go somewhere different, but mostly we went to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. So he knew how to get there. Easy. He didn't have to look at a map. But if the GPS told him to go a certain way, he would ignore it. Yeah. And then it would literally, my mom called me, it was like, it took us six hours this year because the GPS kept telling my, your dad to turn somewhere and he said that was wrong. Why did he even turn it on? My mom wanted it. Oh, uh, okay. So he, he was like, that's not the right way. So he just kept saying no, which is so funny because he knew it was on and he's been there a hundred times. He knew where it was. He knew how to get there. But his, his trust in technology was so low mm -hmm. that he'd be like, even if it's telling me to go the way that I usually go, I don't believe it. And I'm going to go a different way. That's that I think hilarious. Is right. So like that kind of stuff is, and the same thing with me, like this technology that Andrew has, yeah, I could figure it out, but he's just so like, he trusts it so much. Like he knows what to do. He knows right. what to do. It's just like a generational thing. So that's a way that I never really looked at it. It was just kind of a joke. Like, you know, every generation gets a little more comfortable with technology. And as you move down the line, but it really is a trust in it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, people that were born in, my dad was born in the forties. So people born in that generation have a different view of technology than maybe somebody that was born in the sixties and seventies and the eighties and now the nineties and the two thousands. So when you look at it, you're just like, Oh, these kids grew up with it, but it's really they yes, they grew up with it, but they implicitly trust in what, what that technology is giving them, which is very interesting. It's yeah. not necessarily that they grew up with it, which they did. It's just that they trust it, which is fascinating to me because you can just, I mean, there's somebody that's, there's definitely people out there right now that are driving cars that have never even opened a map because they've always had oh, yeah. Apple maps. So they've never even opened one. Like a paper copy to them is useless. The idea of a, an atlas that you keep in your, your uh, closet or a map of, uh, you know, those big fold-up maps. Yeah, it, was like a, it was like a comedian's joke about fold-up maps that just like explode. Because you had to be, that was in your car 100%. Tw yeah. 20 years ago, if you went on a road trip, even if you knew where you were going, that map was in your car 100%. Yeah. It was one of the necessities. A flashlight, a blanket, and a map yeah. because you had to know where you were going. Well, now it's just like, 
What do you need you know, that for? What do you need it for? I have my my phone. My car tells me how many miles it is to empty. Right. Like I'm good to go, which that is probably a trust and automation thing. Yeah, it is. How many miles to empty? Because people push that sucker to to about the end. And it's calculating that. Yeah. Is um, there's a lot of margin and uh, like there's variation in all systems. Mm-hmm. And so to trust that, I don't trust them it's at so, all. You know how many people I've heard say, my car said it had 18 miles left to go. It's like, do you know how many 18 miles you had less than a gallon of gas yeah. in your car and you were just like, this thing knows for sure. Just sloshing around. I, I mean, you could, impurities. Have been, you could have been slightly parked at an angle. It gave you the wrong thing. Like, I mean, it is. The, the, just the manufacturing variance of like where that sensor is yep. and how it's measuring it. And I mean, it's, uh, it's just, it's just insane. So I'm, I'm looking at cars right now for me and Laura. So like we have the new baby and the Tacoma is not conducive to having a child that it's, yeah. it's too small. So I'm looking at new vehicles and the stuff that these cars have, like these new, like 2023 cars. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, you see the heads up displays. Yeah. I mean, is there something more than trust and automation than, than the heads up display yeah. on your vehicle? I'm kind of torn on heads up displays. on your windshield. Yeah. It can't not cause more accidents. Right. I mean, I know they're saying that you're looking at, but you're looking down at the worst possible spot. The the trouble with, with my, my take on this, and there's, there's some research on this and I, I can't decide it right now, but uh, there is a bandwidth limit to information you absorb through your eye. Sure. And so I've done uh, some testing on this, but um, where it, I can have all available information presented to me in a heads up display. Yep including a picture, including uh, scenery that is now uh, formed through sensors on the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And plus I have uh, individual uh, gauged, normally gauged information like airspeed, altitude, uh, heading, that sort of thing. Um, if I have all of that information, I have to do something with that. Right. I'm not consciously filtering it, but I still have to process it because sure. it's still entering through my eye. It's processed by my brain to do something Right now, I have I can train myself out of ignoring certain things, and that generally speaking happens. But when you get on that Yerkes Dotson curve, mm-hmm. you get overstimulated. Sure. Your performance degrades. Yeah, of course. And so why do I need all of that information all the time? Why don't I get it as needed? I think the best explanation of what you're saying for those that don't understand is when you're trying, you're somewhere you don't know, you're watching your GPS, you just got a text message from your friend asking where you're at, and your mom is calling you. Right, like you can't. Like and this podcast is on. Yeah, you're playing the you're podcast, and you it's riveting. You can't. You're so tuned in that you can't. That's too many things coming in. Yeah. I know for a hundred. How many times? Maybe you. Maybe you not. But there'll be times when I'm listening to a podcast. That's all I'm focused on. Yeah. And I have my GPS on, and I'll miss a turn, and I'll be like, <laughs> Yeah. I missed the freaking turn. It's on my. It's on my. I have Apple CarPlay in my truck. It's in my screen and my sign. My line of sight. And I'm so focused on one thing that I missed that turn, which is it's telling me what to do. So, I mean that that is like a legit thing. Like you can be overstimulated and miss the and miss that that part of what you're trying that to cue. do. Yeah, yeah, that cue. So let uh, next time that happens, think Yerkes Dotson, Yerkes Dotson. I'm very interested by that. Yeah, it check it sense. out. Well, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, you, the listener, enjoyed this uh, little little dip into. Uh, uh, trust and automation, automation bias, and the different types of automation. Uh, Dusty, I hope you enjoyed it. I was very interested. Very was, uh, interested. I found it riveting. I love this kind of stuff. I reached out to uh, a human factors engineer to see if she 
Uh, her name's Tia, and I'm going to send this to her. So hopefully okay. this shout-out goes to her, and this will increase our audience too. Oh, good. Uh, but Tia, thank you for this, uh, for the the papers that you sent. It was very informative. Um, as you know, I find this this kind of stuff kind of interesting because it's in my wheelhouse. It's what I do a Me lot too. of. So, Me too. Uh, But thank you all, um, M-Cubed listeners, and we hope to see you next week. Thanks, Adam. It was great. Yeah. See you guys next time. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.